Anyway, so this is going to be on GMOs. Um, before we get started, what, um, who here knows what a GMO is? If you're here, I suspect you have a pretty good idea. Um, so I'm going to go into a little bit about what it is, but I don't want to spend the whole time talking about what we already know. What I'd like to get into is a little bit more of the details about what's actually happening in the world around us and ex how extensive is this and um, what exactly do we need to do to sort of guard ourselves against it. Um, I don't think we understand exactly um, how ubiquitous GMOs have become in the world around us um, and to what extent we're being subject to it and not understanding what it's doing to us, our children, the biology and the soil um, and how that's affecting the plants that we're eating. And uh, there's a whole host of things. And usually we talk about it on a superficial sort of surface level as an introductory, what is a GMO? But I was hoping, and, and I think everyone seems to be nodding, that they're interested in a little bit more than that. Yeah? Okay. Well, to start, I'm just going to give a basic rundown of what a GMO is so that we're on the same page. There's a lot of different ways GMOs come into being. Um, the most prominent one, I guess, is the way I would say it. I'm, and by the way, I'm not going to have any slides or anything. I'm just going to talk to you. So if you want, um, take notes because you're going to want to go test all things and prove and hold to that which is true, not what I say. Um, I'll give you information. Go prove it. That would be my suggestion. Um, and so, I just need to know really quickly, what time is this over? So I can be watching that. Um, 11.45? Okay, so 10.45 to 11.45, all right. Um, a GMO on a... A certain level is a, is a genetically modified organism. It means that it has been genetically modified on a, on a cellular level. And there's different ways that happens. One of the, the primary ways, as I, as I understand it, is they take a gene species that they want. So, for instance, if um, you have strawberries and you want more frost-resistant strawberries, um, one of the things they've done is they've taken... The strawberry gene and they've crossed it with a cold water fish, a flounder, because it has in itself the ability to resist freezing and freezing temperatures. And so you find out what is in the genetics, the DNA, that causes that to happen and you will take that gene and splice it into the DNA strand, the genes of that strawberry in order to find that frost resistant characteristic now available in the strawberry, for instance. So if you don't eat fish and you're at the grocery store and you're getting your strawberries, you now effectively are eating fish on um, a cellular level at least. And so it, it can be quite concerning for many people just on that simple level. It's not that simple though when you think about how they get that, those genes to cross. We have this idea that it's some sort of very specific scientific process that, that we have down and it's it's... One of the arguments they give for it is that it's going to be um, more precise than our traditional hybridization methods, which are, um, as they would claim, very haphazard. It takes a lot of trial and error to grow out something and get 
make a hybrid that does what we want it to do, have a certain characteristic that we're trying to impart to it. Um, and it is a complicated process. If you are ending up with a hybridization process out to a, what we would call an open pollinated or a, a line that is stable, it takes about, well, you're going to go to the F7. So that means it has to pass through seven generations. And each one of those generations, every one of those genetic characteristic potentials are available in every one of those generations. So even though you've got, you know, the, the tomato that you were trying to generate that's a perfect round tomato every time, same colorization, very consistent, and, and so that's what you're shooting for, you may take that one and grow those seeds out from that now nice red tomato, and the next ones can be yellow and green and not shaped round at all, pear-shaped, and, and you can get all the genetic potential that are in, in those genetics. By the time you get to the F7 stage, you have what is called stabilization, and it starts to reproduce after what it looked like, the parent plant. Do you understand what I'm saying when I'm talking about that? Okay. So that's, that's hybridization as we hybridize out to a stable variety. None of the seeds we have effectively have been, in their past been hybridized. When you get an heirloom seed in its lineage, in its past life, it has at some point been hybridized. There's not this idea of a seed that is from the Garden of Eden that we sell, that we have access to at this point in history. Does that make sense? Okay. So what they're saying is, is in this process that, that this genetic manipulation or genetic modification is a more specific science and, and we're better at it. So it takes about 10,000 tries to hybridize something and get what you're looking for, 10, 20,000 plant tries to come to it. The interesting thing is, is it takes about 10,000 tries to get a GMO that functions the way we think it ought to function. So it's no more specific. It is not safer in any regard. And what it does that we don't understand largely is it's manipulating, we used to think that you could insert a cassette into the DNA strand and it would not really affect something downstream in the DNA strand. What we understand now is that it, it can affect everything in the DNA. It, it, so when we think of, we think of like um, when a specific part of DNA is going to express itself as an on and off switch. You ever heard people talk about it has on and off switches? They're really not on and off switches. They're actually more like a dimmer switch or a volume knob. So there's a volume by which it will express itself or not express itself. That's why I have different color blue eyes, different color brown eyes. They're volumes of expression. They're not just on or off. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of potential options. It's not on and off. It's the whole range of volume between on and off. Okay? And so what's happening is some proteins, some things that are, they would call, at the end of strands, often there's something that they would they term junk DNA, stuff that has once been functional but is no longer, we don't recognize it anywhere around us. And sometimes the, that so-called junk DNA is affected, and it now starts to express itself. And some of these things are diseases that we had once dealt with and have been moved out of society or things of that nature and so it can have real huge ramifications that we truly don't understand and the reason we don't understand it is because the science is very fledgling it's a very new science it's not very old and effectively 
when we function in the scientific community, by law, actually, we function under what's known as the precautionary method principle. Is everybody familiar with what a precautionary principle is? Precautionary principle means that you have to prove it's safe before it can be put out into the general public, not that it's safe until you prove otherwise. Okay? That's the scientific model that has, is in law by our, federal, by our governments. And so we should be functioning under that model. We don't function under that model. We function under what has been now, that's been set aside when GMOs came on the scene effectively. And we operate under what is called substantially equivalent. And so GMOs are considered substantially equivalent to their like kind. So if it's corn, it's corn. Doesn't matter how the corn came to be. If it grows in the ground, it grows a stalk, produces an ear, and it's corn, then it's substantially equivalent to any other corn. We know that that's not true, and, and they know it's not true. Now, the reason I can say I know they know it's not true is because there's lawsuits and patents <laughs> that say you're infringing those, those patents because it's so different from anything else that's ever existed, they can patent it. And one breath, it's... it's substantially equivalent in the next breath we can patent it because it's so different and you can be sued for infringing patent laws and so they know that they're substantially different they're not substantially equivalent and so those are some of the things that are going on with it now the the process of making something genetically modified and there are several different processes for different things they're trying to come to, like different outcomes. The primary one that we're going to talk about or look at is, is they will take a gene, like I said, a, a strawberry and a cold water fish. Now, you can't just smash those two things. You can't plant a fish with a strawberry plant and expect those things to just, genes to somehow fuse, right? Nature has barriers. It doesn't function that way. And so in order to, to deny that, to break through the barriers that I will say quite frankly, God has put in place to protect us is they use things like vectors. So a vector would be a virus, a bacteria, things that will cross the cell wall. So when you get sick because you get a cold, bacteria is able to cross into your, you know, in a cellular level and, and go throughout your body and wreak havoc, right? And so that's a vector. That's something that can help carry or a carrier that helps carry it in to the cell. And in order to understand when they do this, what actually got into the cell, they attach to that gene also an antibiotic gene-resistant marker. So you have a marker gene, okay? So imagine you have a cassette of something that you're trying to place inside of a cell into the DNA. And you attach to that cassette this vector so it helps it get through. And you also attach to that cassette an antibiotic gene-resistant marker. And you, usually they will coat it with some sort of alloy, titanium or gold or whatever alloy they coat it with. And that's to, to house it. Well, because they're going to actually take a bunch of that, many, many little pellets that they create, and they put it into a gene gun, right? And they're going to actually shoot it into a Petri dish full of cells. And so when they do that, they shoot it in. And in order to know which which cells have received the cassette, 
they will then take an antibiotic and apply it, and the ones that receive the antibiotic gene-resistant marker resist the antibiotic, and they live, and all the other ones die. So now you know all the cells that didn't die have received the cassette. Make sense? Then you have a cell, and of course the very first principle, the very first thing that we achieved was to be able to take one single cell and from that cell reproduce it out to become what it is, what, you know, whatever that cell is going to be, a tree, a whatever it was. And so that was the first step in being able to do the process of genetic manipulation. So now that we have that, we can do this other process that I just told you about, and we can grow that out to a cucumber plant or a tomato plant or whatever they want to produce, you know, whatever they're trying to do. Now, that's where we come into this. It takes like 10,000 tries because they don't know. This is not exact science. It's somewhere in the DNA strand, and they don't know where out in the DNA strand well, how it's going to affect things. So they have to grow out all these plants to see how they express themselves. And most of them are mutated. They're totally dysfunctional plants and they don't act right and they don't function right. And so they do this over and over and over and over again until they get a plant that perceive and that they can see does basically what they want. We can spray. So like, for instance, the the Roundup Ready or BT cotton foods that you see, they were, and the way the Roundup one came to be specifically was is they were throwing away in the dump Roundup at the manufacturing, the chemical plants. And they found a um, moss or mold or whatever. I don't know specifically what it was, but something was living. And the, the Roundup wasn't killing it. So they were able to go in and find the gene marker or the gene cassette that actually was resistant to the, the Roundup. And that's how they developed Roundup-ready corn and soy and so on. And so it's all biological, understand. This isn't synthetic by any means. This is, it's all biologically done. And so basically... That's how you get a GMO. Does everyone follow that process? Does that make sense? Okay. So we have decided, as I said, to go the route of substantially equivalent. Now, Europe seemingly has done a more progressive step. They went with the precautionary route. And we have lobbied and pushed very hard for them to change and to, to lower their, the way they deal with GMOs in the world market. It's interesting to me because our standards are actually higher than their standards if we would enforce our laws. But we've circumvented our own laws and we're pushing that upon other countries, um, which is something to think about. And I'll just throw this in. This isn't in my notes, but I like to do... Um, etymologies so understanding word breakdown I did this a while back um, I think at a couple conferences ago maybe the word Monsanto can you tell me what the breakdown of the word Monsanto might be Monsanto right Mon singular Santo saint small deity or God one God it means holy mountain and so you can see that there, there is no really secret underlying agenda. It's, it's a quite open, out in the front, in your face agenda, if you want to look. And it usually is, exactly. And so, mon, like mono, meaning singulars, one, and then sant, which is saint, mon santo, one, and saint, but when I say saint, it's actually, santo is 
deity or God. And so I just throw that out there so you can understand that this is not just, while I believe that most people in the industry and they're doing this probably are decent people. Right? I'm not trying to demonize or, or, or make some guy out here growing soybeans and corn into you know, demonize them or, or make them a bad guy. I, they don't understand what they're doing exactly. And so, you know, we need to be sympathetic and, and try to touch them and reach them. But there is a more of an agenda here than just, you know, making some money. So, so the question is, and I'm repeating for Audioverse and for the camera, they can't hear you. Um, are GMOs and hybridization equivalent? And no, not at all. They're um, as far apart, really, as the East is from the West. Um, this is totally brand new. Hybridization is something I can do in my backyard. You will not do the genetic manipulation process in your kitchen. <laughs> you won't do it in the school science lab, unless you're at a university, maybe. Sure. So comment is, is one goes with God's law and one goes against God's law. And we can get more into the, the Genesis principle of producing after its own kind. But uh, I think it doesn't take a whole lot to see that, in my opinion, if you want to see it. And so I'll give you, um, I kind of was hoping that this would be more engaging that I'm not just standing up here talking, rattling off facts, but that we would actually have some engagement and, and some questions answered. And yeah, so Darren is wanting to know about glyphosate and its effects on us. When, like, I don't have the number right in front of me, but it's, it's 80 to 90%, I think, of all crops grown are Roundup ready, which means that they can tolerate the herbicide Roundup or glyphosate. Um, Glyphosate in and of itself has a, a, so what it does is it chelates, so it pulls minerals and binds them, okay? But it, it also kind of burns the hair fabric follicles of the plant, and so it, it literally starves to death. That's the functionality of how it is uh, herbicide. Primarily, it, it does several things, but that's, that's the biggest thing. And so for me, the concern, and as I observe that and look at that, and I think the science bears out, is that when we then consume those foods, well, the first and foremost principle is that they don't have that nutrient to be bioavailable for us. And so we're eating dead food. I mean, not, it was bad enough that they didn't mineralize the soil and, and the minerals really aren't available to us. Now we're going beyond that and we're, what might have been available to us is now locked up and bound in a form that we can't access. And so that's a huge uh, human nutrition problem. But beyond that, if it isn't, if the glyphosate hasn't been satisfied because there's not enough minerals there to satisfy its need, you then become the, the it's called anti-food because it's actually taking nourishment from you to satisfy its needs as opposed to satisfying your need. Do you, that, do you follow that? Darren is making the correlation to, to round up or well, sorry, glyphosate being, it was introduced as an as a antibiotic. And so what effectively we're, we're ingesting on, whether it be off the surface of the plant or from people who are handling it in larger quantities, um, 
if you live downwind from somebody who's using it, walking in the yard for somebody who's used it, however you're coming in contact with it, it is, is effectively destroying our antibiotics in our stomach, on our skin, effectively wherever it comes in contact, bacterial, and, and we're getting more and more um, issues with our digestive tract, which is if you don't understand the importance of your digestive tract, um, pretty much all the nervous system finds its way there and it affects you holistically, your, your whole ability to think, your ability to function. And, and so it's a very, very serious issue that we're using. And, and I've got a quote here. I want to read this really quick. Um, when Monsanto introduced Roundup-ready crops in 1996, they boldly claimed that herbicide use would dis- decrease as a result. And it did. Slightly. And for three years. But over the next 10 years, it grew considerably. Total herbicide use in the U.S. jumped by 383 I'm sorry, 383 million pounds. It did not decrease, <laughs> okay? It went way up um, over the course of 10 years. So three years, it went down. 10 years after that, it went up. So 13 total years. I see you one second. Let me finish reading this. Um, total herbicide, uh, I read that, or about 10% in the 13 years after GMOs came on the scene. The primary reason for the increase is the accelerating speed of herbicide-tolerant weeds. These were reported on 30,000 sites, affecting up to 11.4 million acres, up from 3,251 sites on 2.4 million acres in 2007. The cost of farmers is estimated almost $1 billion each year, or $10 to $20 per acre. I mean, you think about this, the volume of this herbicide that's going down on the ground and what it's doing to us on, on just multiple levels. There's nothing good coming from it. You had your hand up. I don't know of any. The question was, is, is there any studies done to show how long glyphosate would stay in your system after, they, after you consume them? I, I don't know of any studies that have even looked. And this is part of the problem. It is so just not even considered. They, they don't even do studies on it. Um, no, Je- what's her name? So let me repeat what you're saying here for, for the camera and, and stuff. So basically what we're saying is this, this lady, Stephanie Seneff, is she went, she's done an extensive research project on glyphosate and the effects on the human anatomy and human body. And if you want to look it up, look her up. It was just an interview with Jeffrey Smith from Institute for Responsible Technology. Um, they did an interview together talking about the effects of glyphosate. Darren. So with the Roundup, he, he mentioned that when it was brought onto the market, they had to raise, so they have a standard of, of like what is the maximum amount that could be used in a given year. It was raised 20 times to facilitate the amount that was going to be used in order to, to cover. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when it was raised, they recognized that the application rate would be so much more effectively that they had to raise the residue levels by 20 times what was acceptable for human consumption, the legal limit that could be a residue left on the crop by 20 times in order to uh, make it 
legal to sell it effectively. Is that right? And what's the gentleman's name that you're recommending from Audioverse? Dr. Tim Howe. Healthy Soil, Healthy People. You can find that on Audioverse. Had a question over here? Right, so when, when, when glyphosate came out, there was a lawsuit in France because it, it, the half-life was supposed to be like one year. You know, it was supposed to be just there and gone. And they actually were sued and they had to change all their labeling and everything and change what the half-life truly was. And, and the reality is, and this is the truth of the matter, the half-life is not that stable depending on the, the situation. So whether it's in a field, sunlight, rain, cold weather, hot weather, if you're north or south there, you know, there's a lot of variables to how long this stuff will stick around, you know, um, and, and so it is fairly, we could just consider it pretty much ubiquitous in the food system, and, and when I say food system, and I'm not talking about grocery stores, I'm talking about in the fields, and they're applying it over and over and over again, and so it's building, the toxicity level is building, it's not getting better. Are being genetically modified, you mean? So the question is, is do I have a list of foods that are being genetically modified? And, and I can, I can, we can get to that. But what I want to get to, and I, I like, this is what I was hoping for, that we would have dialogue. I'm really interested in the dialogue and talking to you guys about it and sharing what I know. But, you know, collectively, there's a lot of research that's been done and, and I cannot keep up with all of it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to get into self-fusion and a few things that you guys may not know about and hidden ingredients and where it's actually showing up in our food supply that we don't even consider, and, and where it's showing up in our fields and in our gardens that we don't have any clues really about. And so that's where I want to take this, but I want to be able to address these questions as well and, and talk about these things as well. Um, so yes, there's a list. You can go to, um, it's called GMO Project, I think. Um, Non-GMO shopping guide will give you a list. If you go online, just look up the non-GMO shopping guide. They have an app you can get on, on your phones, and they will tell you as it changes what is coming in and out. But I'll tell you this. The list is far more extensive because the trials that are going on, they're trying. I mean, there's 40, 30. There's just tons of, of things that are under trial that are not in some greenhouse somewhere, safe and sound, these are things that are out in the world that they're trialing and we don't really know where they're at. For, I'll give you for an example. In this, in the, um, over in Oregon, in the Willamette Valley, they do a lot of seed collection there in the Willamette Valley. And the seed growers actually have a chart of the whole valley and they come together collectively to decide who's going to grow what seed where because you need to be very careful about cross-pollinating when you're growing seeds and things of that nature. And so it's a very extensive network of seed growers there in the Willamette Valley. And there's regulations that they haven't put in place for that valley. When they developed the genetically modified beet, the trials were in that valley and it was secret and nobody knew. And so this stuff is going on all over the place and we don't know about it. And, and a lot of these trials are, they're out in nature. They're not, they're not in some isolated place. You know, the GMO, the, 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 the manipulation happened in a lab, but the actual functionality of growing these plants out and seeing how they function in the world is in the world. So when they do the trials, what, what Darren's talking about is when, when they do a trial, and there's a wheat trial done in Oregon, they've been doing wheat trials up in, in the Dakotas as well. 
but life wants to live. When you introduce something into the world, it has a way of going into the world. And so the wheat has now been found in cross-pollination in a lot of wheat varieties now. And so, you know, you can get into the, to the, it is almost, you know, what can you do at a certain level? But I want to talk about what we can do before we get to the end of this. You had a question. It is, um, is, is, is verifiable that because of the way GMOs are made, she's asking if, there, if there's relation to the rise in, and the allergies that have affected us as humans and animals. And so there's, there's a lot of studies that, that show that the way it affects our stomach, the way it, it, it affects the way plants express proteins specifically, is having an effect on us as allergens. And so yes, it, it is possible that that could be a part of the problem. And so we are facing things of that nature. Now, to give you an idea, I cannot read you this list but I can point you in a direction if you want the list. Again, it would be a non-GMO shopping guide. If you just go there, they have a list of all the hidden ingredients, things that you don't know contain these genetically modified things, corn, soy, beets, things of that nature. But aspartame, benavia, baking powder, canola oil, caramel color, cellulose, Citric acid. Citric acid is primarily made from corn these days, not citrus, if you didn't know. Um, cobalamin. So if you're taking B12 supplements, cobalamin. Um, what's some more here? Condensed milk. Confectionary sugars. Of course, that's beets, right? Corn flour. Corn meal. Corn oil. Corn sugar. Um, what are some some of these things that we find in the ingredient list, right, that you don't think about being a part of a genetically modified organism? You know, there's a yeast out there. How many people here use nutritional yeast? All right. There's a brand out there, and it says non-GMO. Does everyone know? If you look on the label, it has a little star, non-GMO. And so you can feel good knowing that your nutritional use is not non-GMO. Well, do you know that they can call it non-GMO because you know how you grow yeast? It grows on sugar. Sugar doesn't contain protein. And the way that you measure what is a GMO, GMO, like if you're testing for GMOs, you test proteins because it's, that's where the markers are. That's where the... That's where the genetic manipulation happens in the proteins. And so if it's a carbohydrate, it's not genetically modified. So you can take GMO corn, pull the starch out, the sugars, grow your yeast on that GMO corn or GMO beet sugar, and you can test it for GMOs, and you can guarantee 100% it's a non-GMO product. And all the companies that we have called for nutritional yeast cannot tell me that they don't use GMO corn. They have no idea where their sugar comes from. I can tell you that it's GMO corn. I mean, and so this is ubiquitous. When I say where is it not in the title, it's because that's just one of many, many, many of these processes because you think of nutritional yeast. You don't think of corn sugar or beet sugar 
That doesn't even cross most people's minds. It's not even on the, you know, some other planet. This is yeast. And so, but you get your B12 in nutritional yeast, by the way, because they feed it B12. It's not naturally occurring. It's, it's just like taking a supplement that's been fed. So like a, a whole food supplement, you understand a whole food supplement is, doesn't mean they just packed up a bunch of vitamin B12 from whole foods. They actually fed the B12 to some sort of microorganism that converted it and condensed it and then you get it in the whole food form. That's how it's a whole food vitamin. And so it's the same process with, the, with getting your B12 from a nutritional yeast. You're eating a GMO corn <laughs> and you're just basically taking a, a pill, a supplement in the form of yeast. I was just wondering, is cane sugar non-GMO? Cane sugar is not genetically modified at this present time that I know of. Okay. And is there a... Is there a non-GMO source for B12 that you know of? It's, it's very difficult. Um, I do not know. We, we actually, you can get it in wheatgrass. You can get it in Corella, which is a, a freshwater algae. Um, and it is actually in Corella, true B12. One of the problems with B12 is it's hard to understand what isn't... Um, an imposter B12 <laughs> and what's actually B12. Um, and so you have to be pretty careful about that. We have a supplement. I'd have to ask my wife. I cannot remember the name of the supplement. Supplement that's a B12 supplement that we have done a lot of research on and know that is a safe, safe supplement as far as genetic modification goes. I believe there's a question behind you. things you get in the supermarket. If it says sugar, are you betting that it's going to be GMO sugar? Usually if it says sugar, it'll be a beet sugar. And if it's a cane sugar, it will usually say cane sugar. If it just says sugar, it's probably the cheapest source of sugar they can get, which is generally going to be from beets or, or corn. you call Pioneer and you can, this is wonderful to have the company's name on the product and the ingredient list because we just whip out the phone and we give them a call and you can just ask them in the supermarket if your product has any GMO or if the sugar or the vitamin E or the citric right. acid is genetically modified right. because we've learned that if it says certified organic, it can only be, it can be 10% non-organic so it could still have GMO in it. And so they will tell you if their sugar is genetically modified and probably close to 98%, almost 100% of sugar beets grown in this country are genetically GMO. modified. Yeah. So what happened with the GMO beet was is they, um, they went to the, the candy consortiums and they said they got all Hershey's and they got all the candy manufacturers on board because they buy a large amount of sugar and they said that, that they wouldn't buy beets unless they were a specific Roundup Ready variety. And so that's why all the farmers switched so much. That's why it's so fast. Went from none to like 98% of, of the sugar beets grown are genetically modified. Oh gosh, that was only a few years ago. You can you use the mic. sorghum for syrup? Is it, uh... As far as I know, sorghum hasn't been manipulated, been tampered with. 
Um, stevia is an herb. It's just a leaf of, a, of an herb, and I don't believe, to my knowledge, that that has been manipulated either. Is molasses still safe? Um, well, so molasses is interesting in and of itself. You know, most of the time they use a, a bone char filter, and so you have to be careful with molasses for that reason too because part of the bone char filter problem is is the animals that the bones came from most likely have been contaminated with GMO feed and so you have the potentials there. And now you may say I'm being ridiculous and I, this is where I want to go. With I, want you to, I want you to understand why I'm going to so far as to say what's this bone char? Like really what the filtering is? Well, so molasses is basically cane sugar that's been spun out all the minerals, and so you get white sugar. And molasses is the mineral content that was spun out. But in the spinning out process, it's filtered. And so the filters used, they can be diatomaceous earth, it can be bone chart, it can be uh, several different items. But, but most of the time, if you, don't, if you don't know, I just would presume that it's a bone jar. It's just, the mo- it's, ubiqui- it's just sort of the most common it has been in the past. I mean, things are changing, as things always do. But, but you just need to know, you know, what, where your molasses is coming from. Wholesome Foods is where we get ours in organic variety. They use I think they use diatomaceous earth on theirs. Um, so, so we've gone through some of, you know, malt syrup. I mean, these these ingredients that you would never suspect. She vitamin E. You know, these ingredients. You're just like that comes from corn. What? And so, go to non-GMO shopping guide. They will give you the list of additives where you can find that there's a high probability that they have contained a GMO derivative. We teach this in our family ministry, genetically modified, and how the whole history of it and how to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And what I find is I watch people's faces as my daughter gives the presentation and they start out just normal, and they end up horrified, and yeah. then they're overwhelmed. It's really not that hard to avoid it. We have counsel in our writings to eat our food as close to how God has given it as possible. And if we're not, if we limit the processed foods that we're buying, we reduce the amount of risk for GMO. We this list becomes benign um, for the most part. And it's very simple. We also have counsel. We need to be growing our own food so we know what we're getting. We're mm-hmm. here because we've ignored the counsel that we've been given as a people. And to get back to... And Satan's serious about what he's doing. You're not being nitpicky. He's very serious about attacking not just us with bad foods, but with what looks like food that is not food. And so we need to get as serious in engaging in the battle for our own salvation. Thank you for your presentation. Oh, wow question agave no we haven't gone over agave if you have a question please (laughs) my question is what about agave when it comes to GMO as far as I know it's a cactus and they haven't genetically modified it I will tell you that agave is not what you think agave is it is not the pure sap of of a cactus it is a highly processed food uh, it's like corn syrup. It goes through an extensive, extensive processing, and it is a refined sugar, effectively. And it is not that healthy, really. And one of the things that was happening years ago is they were cutting it, and they were adding other sugars in with it. So, for instance, like when you get, um, you know, some of the white packaged powder that's that's um, 
supposed to be good for you. You know, the white powder is filler. Most of it's filler. The filler is usually sugar, <laughs> which is kind of odd. You gotta... It's for the it's for the audio recording. You may have already covered this, but maple syrup. Have any of the trees been genetically modified? Um, not trees have been genetically modified, but not maple syrup. As far as I know, you should be safe with that. Um, so maple syrup maple syrup would be a good source. Just be careful of what defoaming agents they're using when they make it. I'm telling you, it is. You've got to be careful about everything. In, in processing foods, they use things that you would never dream is going on. And um, So for instance, I'll give you a, a really interesting thing. I was just in Whitmar's lectures, and he was talking about, um, where is it at? I wrote it down here. One of the ingredients, the hidden ingredients, when you buy manganese, to apply to your field. Let's say you have a manganese, you know, you get your soil report back and you need to add some manganese to your soil. The manganese comes with a carrier. The carriers are now GMO. Many of the carriers are GMO. And so when you are thinking about things like that and you're thinking, big deal, it's going in my soil, I'm not going to eat manganese. Well, you are going to eat manganese when it gets into your plant. But beyond that, what, what I want to, and this is where I'm going, okay? This is where we've only got about 15 more minutes and so I want to get to this portion of the lecture because this is stuff that most people know about and I'm going to talk about some stuff that most people probably don't know about now. Um, so when that enters the field there's a horizontal gene transfer process that, that has been denied. So horizontal gene transfer means that it can actually move from one gene from one cell to the other gene transfer outside of manipulation that happens naturally occurring. And it does in bacteria, and they've, they've reproduced it and they've done it in the lab. What they can't prove is that it happens in reality, in the field. And the reason they can't do that is because the way that they do their scientific study on this, we're just not sophisticated enough to truly understand what's going on. But we have come to the conclusion that the probabilities are very high in some instances. And it's a very complicated science, and so I'm not going to go into the, the details. I will try to generalize it for you. I will point you to website, um, Institute for Science in Society. Institute for Science in Society. And what this gentleman, I believe he's a gentleman, it's, it's, um, he's from the UK, the name is kind of one of those names. I'm not sure if it's a boy or a girl, but I think it's a, a guy. Um, the, the, he pulls the research that's coming out and collects it in one place so that we have, and he will ex interpret it. And he's honest. He'll tell you, this is what they found. They denied it can happen based on the fact that they can't really prove that it happens. And so... Instead of saying, well, we can't prove that it's safe and we can't prove that it's not safe and so we shouldn't do it, they say we can't prove it's not safe so we're going to do it. And so they don't believe that horizontal gene transfer is, a, is, a, is a, an issue, but there's evidence, clear evidence in the lab that they can actually cause it, it does happen. And when there's damage spots on plants, so that's how things 
get sick a lot of times, right? You will be hoeing and you make a nick in the side of the plant. And so there's a vector point where disease can enter the plant. And it's at those points when those particular types of bacterium that have this sort of built-in propensity to do this type of activity, when they come in contact with some of the the vectors that we use in GMOs or the carriers that we're using in, in the process of making GMOs, those two things seem to have the ability to share DNA. And so what you're finding is antibiotic gene-resistant markers in bacteria. And the only way that could have gotten there is because it was transferred from the genetic manipulation process and that, that being in the DNA of GMOs, now finding its way into the bacteria in your soil. And so, so it's, it's, when I say that this has entered into our world in ways that we don't understand, it has entered into our worlds in, in ways that we don't have the capacity to even measure. And so it is ubiquitous. The other thing that I wanted to bring to our attention is something called cell fusion. How many people here have heard of cell fusion? One person. So there's the name is cell fusion. Sometimes it would be called, and this is probably a more technical term, hybrid seeds from protoplastic fusion cytoplasm male sterility, CMS. You ever heard of CMS seeds? All right. You can buy an organic seed from an organic catalog, and it will be a CMS seed. What that means is hybridized seeds. Okay? And what they're doing is they're taking an enzyme and they burn the cell wall off of a cell. And they will burn out the mitochondria. Let me just read it to you because it, it, it's probably better if I just read some of the, the way they describe it and then I can come back and explain it to you in maybe a simpler term if you don't understand what's said. Is that fair? Okay. Like genetic engineering, mutagenesis can cause dramatic shifts in genetically determined traits producing unknown toxins or allergens. Okay. Wheat belly... Author Dr. Williams Davis blames mutagenesis, which is used to promote modern wheat, including organically grown wheat, or increase in wheat allergies and intolerances, stated in the OCA, which is the Organic Consumers Association. Cisgenic cell fusion is a biotechnological process of mutagenesis whereby the nucleus is removed from a plant cell and replaced with the nucleus from a different plant within the same botanical family. Chemicals and radiation are used in the process to create a hybrid plant, okay, with mixed genetics containing the mitochondria and chloroplast DNA from one cell and the nuclear DNA from a different cell, a different one, okay? Same species? Same species or same family. So cell fusion is also called protoplastic or somatic fusion, and can involve a mutant gene with the purpose of creating, and here's the, why we call it CMS, cytoplasmic male sterility. Okay? So what they're doing is they're creating a line, a plant, that is a male sterile plant, which means it can't reproduce. It's all male. And the reason they do that is because they're trying to create an F1 hybrid 
And when you create an F1 hybrid, you need a sterile, a sterile line, or you need a male line to cross with your female line, so you don't have a bunch of different crosses. You need specific, you want a bunch of seed that's the same. It's going to produce the same head of broccoli, right? And so they're growing out these sterile lines through this GMO process, and they're crossing it, and they're coming up with a hybrid, F1 hybrid seed, which, and then the finishing statement here is, which allows classified F1 hybrids to avoid inbreeding. It also prevents the seed from recreating the variety because it results in sterile or no pollen. And so they're creating these F1 hybrids with this sterile line that they've done CMS process with. And they're organic. They're organic seeds. They're non-organic seeds. And so there's, there's no guarantee when you go to the grocery store and you buy your organic head of broccoli that that didn't come from CMS. How long have they been A few years now. Yes. And nobody's heard of it. And that's why I'm telling you about it because you have a right to know. That would, well... They're taking the genetic plant, the GMO plant, and they're hybridizing it to get a seed, and then they're planting that seed and growing your head of broccoli or your chicory or whatever. There's just a few. And it, it is an organic seed. So when you buy that seed, when you buy that F1 hybrid seed, right, that's an organic seed. It can, if it came from an organic grower, then that's an organic seed. Heirloom is different because it wouldn't be a hybrid. Heirlooms can't be hybridized. Some do, some don't. You can call them and they'll tell you. But yeah, so I've called several seed companies. High mowing seed doesn't carry any. Um, Fedco doesn't carry any. Johnny's does carry them. Baker Creek's all open pollinated. So it can't, there's no F1 hybrids at Baker Creek. Um, Most of the more progressive, Johnny's is moving them out, by the way. as, As my understanding, I've called them and talked to them and they will give you a list of, They'll give you a list even of the, so Monsanto has bought up a lot of the organic seed companies or seed companies in general. And so if you're buying seed from uh, like the Hakure turnip that everybody loves so much, the little white turnip, that's actually a Semenis variety. Semenis holds the, the F1 hybrid on that. That's, Monsanto bought them. And so, I, you know, if you don't want to support them with your dollars, don't buy the seeds. Um, and so, Hakurai, it's a little white turnip that's extremely popular in market gardening. It's a really, really nice turnip. But I'll tell you, just since we're talking about the, the little white turnips, Oasis from Fedco is a better turnip. It's, it's a really sweet, really nice turnip. Um, so I really wanted to, to share with you guys this, this idea of what cell fusion is. I wanted to tell you about what was going on with, with the, um, some of the stuff we haven't heard of, like horizontal gene transfer. And I do want to end on a hopeful note. All right? You're at an agricultural conference because you believe you should be growing food. Right? You believe we're living at the end of the world and that it's not going to be easy. The things that we're going to face are going to be beyond our, really, our scope. And so you do the best you can with what you've got. But the key is you actually have to do the best you can You can't say, I'm going to do the best I can, but that's too difficult. You actually have to do the best you can with what you have. 
And so you go out there, you do the best research you can do. You make the best choice you can. And then you pray. Because God has inbuilt, if you start to study things like epigenetics, you will realize that God has a cleansing mechanism. Everything the devil is trying to do, God has a counter. He has given a way of escape. There's no temptation that has beset us that is, he has not made a way of escape for. But we have to do our part. He's not going to do that which we can do for ourselves. He doesn't brush your teeth in the morning. The law of thermodynamics still functions. And if you don't get up and brush your teeth, your teeth will rot. Right? And so you have to get up every day and do the best you can with what you know and put your foot forward to know more. And as you learn your salvation, and and maybe this sounds wrong to some people, but your salvation is dictated upon the, the force of the will. If you are at my morning worship, the force of the will means that you are willing to do whatever you were bought and sold and, and you are not your own. You were bought with a price and your body is the temple of the living God. And we have a job to do to protect it and defend it. And there is an adversary that seeks to destroy you. He goes about like a lion or roaring lion. And so when he does this stuff, it doesn't matter. For me and my family, I can just tell you, corn and soy aren't even on the table. GMO or non-GMO. I mean, when you do the non-GMO project, realize that 0.09% of that does not. It can come back contaminated. And it's still considered suitable for the non-GMO project. There is no safety in some of these lines anymore. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna stretch my time just a little bit. I think I need to close here. But just, when you think about the children of Israel going to the promised land, they should have went in right away. But it was their rebellion that sent them 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And as I understand it, we are 40 years wandering in the wilderness because we should be home right now. Actually, we're out of time. We shouldn't even be here. And so we are 40 years wandering in the wilderness and they were crying for the flesh pots of Egypt and most of us get that. But do you realize they were, they were also crying for the garlic and the leeks and the cucumbers? And there is nothing about a garlic, leek, or cucumber that I can come up with that's outside of God's plan. But there was something about those plants that predetermines, that typifies the end of the world because all these things are written for in samples upon whom the ends of the world come. And if you don't understand at the end of the world, there's going to be the flesh pots of Egypt tied with those things that we're looking back to Egypt for. And we're not pressing forward to the promised land and happy with that little wafer of manna. And we need to put these things aside. We need to put these things out of our lives. And we need to move forward with, with a perseverance and a determination that heaven is cheap enough. Because if we can't do that, then we don't believe it. Now, I'm preaching, and I'll apologize for that a little bit, but not a much, because this is serious business. This is not about you, and this is not about me. This is about the glorification of our Father in heaven and his character. And there's been a character assassination attempt, and we are the evidence. It is God as revealed in me and you that is the evidence that he is who he says he is. He is a loving God who has given us a way of escape. And so there's some more questions. We'll have to take those after because I'm past time and I need to close with prayer. Thank you 
for your discussion. I appreciate having the discussion with you. I have learned some stuff as well. I hope the people will test all these things. Don't believe anything I said. Go test it. I may have misspoke. If I did, it wasn't intentional. But it's a lot of information and sometimes I do get jumbled around a little bit. So test it all. Prove it all. And please, share it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we contemplate the the seriousness of the subject of our food, of how we preserve our mind, as how we fuel our bodies that we might labor for you. As we go forward, we want to have the mind of Christ. Lord, we don't want to have foggy minds. We don't want to have broken bodies that are not able to function without pain. We know that you have promised to restore us. Yes, we will get glorified bodies, but you want to give us health and vitality now. And so, Lord, help us to have wisdom and discernment and understanding about how to move forward as we try to preserve our health. Not that we might have longer life on this earth or that we might have some, something to boast about, but that we might be fitted to labor to your cause, that we might have minds that are sharp and that can retain your word and we can share it and that we can speak with, with um, surety that we could be settled in you in a way that we've never been settled in you before, that we cannot be moved, Father, that we could put away sin and that we could represent your character that you might be able to return and gather up your people. Father, you've promised you would do this and we accept your promises. We believe them and so we move forward in faith. Strengthen us to this end because we have no ability in ourselves to accomplish these things. We thank you that you will do it We thank you that you will make up the difference. We thank you that you are making up the difference, that you protect us from those things that we don't even know about now that the adversary is attacking us with. Settle us in these things, I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, Or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.